Do you think we should have a disclaimer at the beginning about this being a little bit more of an explicit conversation? Did we say anything even explicit? We use the word sex. <laughs> I think as soon as the title said erotic, people should know that it's a little bit more explicit. All the babies that we have on our show. Okay, I feel like if we say it's explicit, people will be like a little bit disappointed. <laughs> That's true. <gasps> Your hosts are here. Sammy and Michelle, by the end of this podcast, you'll know them well. Adulting, navigating the journey of life, careers to relationships, pain and strife. Put down the rule book, rethink the status quo. If there's another direction you want to go, find purpose, passion, and mastery in all that you do with status post adulting. Hey, Status Plus Adulting fam! Happy Tuesday! This is Sammy and Michelle, and you're listening to the 28th episode of Status Plus Adulting, where we are going to be talking about intimacy versus eroticism. But first, let me check in with my co-host, Michelle. How are you doing, Michelle? Sammy, I did the dumbest thing last week. Tell me more. If we want to talk about adulting versus Status Plus Adulting, I had an appointment, a long-standing appointment with the government for my global entry TSA pre-check spiel because I want to get that since we travel a lot. Fun fact, a few years ago when Sammy, the first time she ever went through TSA pre-check, she was so amazed by it, she immediately went and signed up for it. And right after that, Sam, do you remember what you told me? I'm better than you. Basically, you said you will never sign up for it. And five years later, I'm glad to prove you wrong. I believe what I said, first of all, it was global entry, just to be clear, tomato, tomato, but yes, global entry. And you have to be kind of an organized, diligent person to get this done. I'm not saying you have to be a rocket scientist, but diligence is involved. And I do believe that after I did it, I thought that people like you would just never be able to complete these tests. You were 100% right. (laughs) And it's honestly caused us issues in the past because like I've mentioned, Sammy's not the best flyer. And so we had run into problems, but I did fill out the form online. I got an appointment. I went there at 9.30 in the morning and I was ready to go. I had all my documents and the woman, she's like checking me in and she goes, okay, can I see your confirmation email? So I pull out my printed copy and she points to it and she says, your appointment's at 9.30 p.m. I'm not going to lie. It is a little weird that people would have an appointment at 9.30 p.m. A hundred percent. Yes, it's my fault for not double checking even though I checked the time a million times but I did also put it wrong into my google calendar and also I'm sorry I got a bone to pick it literally says on the thing all times are in military time I'm not sure if they understand how military time works but 9 30 p.m is not how I understand military time maybe a different military but luckily I sort of just stood there in that moment like oh and she was like We'll see if we can fit you in. And luckily, they ended up sliding me through. Adulting brain fart moment. Always read all of the details, including whether or not your meeting is at a.m. or p.m. You might think the government doesn't work at night, but yes, turns out that they do. As someone who works at a government clinic, I will say the government does work at night, even though we don't got enough staff to be covering all these shifts. The government is working at night. Preach. And you know what else happens at at night? (laughs) (laughs) erotic things 
Oh, Jesus. <laughs> I don't even know if I can pretend like that was a good transition, but I see it and I receive it. Thank you. Yes, and. Yes, and. Today, on our 28th episode, we will be talking about intimacy versus eroticism. This concept was introduced to us and popularized by Esther Perel. She is a couples therapist, sex therapist. She has her own podcast. She's written books like Mating in Captivity. We're such big fans and we'll connect to all of the resources that we've used in the past into the show notes. We think that just understanding the basics behind the tension between intimacy and eroticism is really interesting and can be really helpful in taking a different look at your relationships. Michelle is right. We are huge fans of Esther Perel. She is the first one to really bring up this topic of intimacy versus eroticism. And how she separates intimacy and eroticism is that Intimacy is the closeness in a relationship, in particular romantic relationships. It's when you become very bonded with somebody, where you know a lot of things about them, you feel very comfortable with them, you feel safe with them, you can be vulnerable with them, versus eroticism, which refers more to the excitement, the romance, the passion of being with someone. Exactly, Sammy. And something I like that Esther Perel says when she's talking about eroticism, she specifically calls out that a lot of people think about that in terms of like sex and passion, but she also sees it as the adventures you have with your partner, really living life, that playfulness, all of those aspects of the relationship as well. Exactly, Michelle. And the question Esther asks is, what do we do when our pursuit for security and safety clashes with our quest for passion, separateness, and adventure? Yeah, Sammy, that's a really interesting thing that she brings up because really what we'll be talking a lot about is the fact that there does sometimes seem to be this dichotomy between wanting intimacy, what she describes as having security, safety, comfortability in your relationship, versus wanting that mystery, that excitement, that, oh, maybe I don't really know what they're thinking or what's going on, and that's a little exciting. That's so true, Michelle. I really like that she brings up this topic because I had never really thought of it in the way that she frames it, but I found it really helpful to use that framework. I think a lot of us have that stereotype in our mind that when something is off erotically or sexually in your relationship, that reflects an underlying fundamental problem with your relationship otherwise. Like people who have good, solid, intimate relationships also have a great sex life. And one thing that Esther points out is, in her experience, oftentimes the opposite is true. It's funny, Sammy, how she actually sees that they're inversely related, where sometimes when we achieve more intimacy, we give up some of that eroticism, or that we might find that eroticism can thrive if we actually have a little bit of space in our relationship. For me, that's a really interesting thing to reflect on because I'm not always the best about being emotionally vulnerable with my partners, getting really intimate with my partners. I definitely can look back on my relationships, especially more recent ones, and I'm more leaning on the eroticism where it's like, I don't know anything about you and it's been a while, but things are going well. Like this is exciting. And while that might be good for a time or for a season, it's definitely something I'm thinking about now, especially coming out of the pandemic and at least thinking a little bit about dating again is what is a good balance and what is what are some of the reasons that I might be 
fearing one and is it to have more of the other? Yeah, that's a really great point, Michelle. It's funny because I find that when I first started dating, I was in quite the opposite conundrum. I would get super close with my partners, especially my first partner. You know, we were very close, farting in front of each other, not closing the door when you go to the bathroom. So many eggs. So many eggs. (laughs) And at that time, I'm like, this is a symbol of a very close and intimate relationship. Indeed, it was. However, I'm not going to lie. After a while, that person kind of felt like my brother. I've never had a brother, but how I imagine a brother to feel. And it's not a very erotic relationship. Yeah, and I'll say too, Sam, that happened pretty fast too, I feel like. It wasn't like after five years you were at that point. Yes, exactly. It did happen quickly. And I think after that I realized it's healthy to leave a little bit of space in the relationship. Your partner doesn't have to be your one person for everything, and they often can't. And I really appreciated that having your own independence and space in a relationship can actually make things more romantic and more exciting. Without a doubt, Tammy, I think something else that you brought up, which is really, really interesting, is this idea that our partner has to be everything. One of the really good points made in the book and that she talks about is that once upon a time, we used to have a whole village that supported us. We had our friends to talk to. We had our family supporting us. And now we expect one person to be not only our partner, our financial partner, the person we tell everything to, our confidant, our soulmate, and then also, you know, our sexual partner. We literally want one person to be all of those things. And we're living it twice as long. So we want one person to be all of those things for, say, 60 years now instead of just 20. Yeah, I really like when Esther brought up that point. A lot of times, you know, on Facebook, on social media, you'll see people post, I'm so excited to be engaged or married to my best friend or things like that. Obviously, that's a signal of a really intimate relationship and that's great. But at the same time, this is the one person you're going to be with for the rest of your life. And I think it's healthy and normal to have other outlets for your needs, other people you go to, you know, other friends, other confidants, people you seek outside the relationship who fill those roles. So you're not putting everything on one person. It ends up creating an unrealistic standard too. I think sometimes we can go and look to try to find our quote unquote best friend and again, all of the other things that we want in a partner as well. Sometimes that can make people feel like their relationships aren't whole because their relationship might be missing one of those aspects. It's funny because one thing after learning about intimacy versus eroticism and Esther Perel's theory that they could potentially be inversely related, I started to look at my friends and their relationships and I saw some interesting trends. When I think of friends who have a highly romantic, what seems like highly erotic relationship still, even though they've been dating for a good amount of time, Sometimes there's things that kind of separate them from being highly intimate with each other. Things like maybe their first languages are not the same. Or maybe one's like hobbies that the other person is just not interested in. And the way they reunite or the way they come together is in their romantic relationship. And then I have other friends who have highly intimate relationships. And I can see they're kind of like siblings. But at the same time, they're very close in a way that's very meaningful to them. One thing Esther talks about is a lot of times what we seek in our adult relationships is a reflection of what we desire after our childhoods. Some people after their childhoods, they might want safety, security, something very solid. And some people after their childhoods might want independence and freedom. They might want more space. 
And I think that does get reflected into what people seek in their partners. I could definitely see that, Sammy. I obviously don't know all of my friends' childhood relationships and what they went through, so it's hard to project that onto other people. But I do know that in general, I crave a lot of independence and I have a lot of intimate relationships with my friends. I would guess that's one of the reasons that I prefer to look for relationships that maybe lean more in the other direction. Also, something I'm trying to work on is trying to be a little bit more open and vulnerable and trying to get to know people on a more intimate level. Having one isn't better than the other. And I would think that an ideal situation is to have a good balance. Yeah, Michelle, I completely agree. For me, one thing I really liked about Esther's framework is I felt like it gave me permission to focus more on eroticism in my relationships. Part of that is just because I have highly intimate relationships. Like, you're my sister. I'm super close with you. I feel like without me saying much, you understand me. And I think just because I have that fundamental confidant that I know is there, when I go out into the world, I'm not necessarily looking for another Michelle. I'm looking for a romantic partner. I think for me, I do like lean heavier on the eroticism when I'm looking at my romantic partners. And I know that I've dated people even recently, and I know that they're looking for someone to be super intimate with. I think it can still work because we all have different definitions of what is super intimate. Definitely, Sammy. On the flip side, I would imagine maybe if somebody was an only child or didn't have, you know, maybe they moved around a lot. For whatever reason, let's say they don't have as many close friends and confidants. They might look for somebody who they feel like they can have that closeness with. The intimacy might be more important to them than the eroticism. I think one of the nice things about knowing that these two concepts exist is that you can think back to yourself and your past relationships and see what you liked, what you didn't like, and what you want in the future. And it helps you communicate that a little bit better. Also, it's helpful to know that it's not necessarily an intimate relationship or an erotic relationship. Your relationship can have different seasons and those different seasons might have value in different ways. An example I can think about is I imagine if right after you have a kid, you're probably looking for a strong partner, someone that can help you raise that child. Again, I don't have a child, I don't know, but I would imagine that maybe that's more important to you when your child is crying at night, that you have like a stable partner that you can rely on. That might be different than when you first start dating someone and you're looking for that spark and you have a really high level of dopamine going on. You just want that hit when you meet somebody new and you have those fairy tale feelings. Yeah, Michelle. And I think also just knowing that one of the biggest things to help create space for eroticism is literal space. What Esther likes to say is you can't have a fire without air. So true. Yes. <laughs> I think just knowing that helps know that if you're in a place where you feel like your relationship's getting super intimate, but maybe lost some of the eroticism is lost, maybe create some space. And that could be even things like making friends that you go to for your problems instead of your partner. Or finding hobbies outside the relationship that like only you participate in. I think all of those things help create more space and thus more eroticism. That's especially relevant to post- lockdown world where a lot of couples were probably quarantining together and so maybe for them a little bit of space is healthy and this might be a good time to reevaluate boundaries and reevaluate the relationship and say hey we just spent 24 7 with each other let's create a little bit of distance to rekindle the spark or other couples might be in the opposite sense where they may have had to quarantine apart and so that might have built their relationship in a certain way and it's something to consider and reevaluate post-lockdown. Yeah, Michelle, I definitely think COVID is a relationship accelerator. 
with many people being trapped together, with mortality being something that's at top of mind, that kind of speeds up the intimacy a little bit. And going back to normal life, it may be nice to take a break, take some space, make some time for yourself, and get that air that we all need to create the fire. On the flip side too, maybe you're single and you're getting out and about into the dating world and you might be on both sides of the intimacy and the eroticism spectrum as well. I know for me, my values have changed when it comes to dating. I have different things that I'm looking for in a partner and I'm starting to think more long term. And then there are also people who are, you know, trying to live their hot back summer and that's good too. Some people are watching the Olympics right now, and it's tough because these <laughs> That's Michelle only. <laughs> and it's been a long, long pandemic, and, uh, you know, they look good. They look really good. <laughs> Some people are disturbed that people are hypersexualizing people who are trying to do their job. My bad. Same reason I don't wear those expensive scrubs. <laughs> <laughs> Sammy and I hope that... This introduction to intimacy versus eroticism was helpful. I would say the big takeaway is understand that there can be this inverse relationship between intimacy and eroticism. See what's important to you. Reevaluate your past relationships. Look at your current relationships and see if this is something that you feel like you're dialed up on one and not the other. There might be ways to create more intimacy or create more eroticism in your relationship. And communication is definitely a big part of that. Yeah, Michelle. And I would definitely agree that knowing what you're looking for in a relationship, a relationship that leans more heavily intimate or a relationship that leads more heavily erotic will help you create the type of space or the type of intimacy that will grow the relationship that you want. As we mentioned at the beginning, we're really scratching the surface of what we think is really interesting work. And we'll add in the show notes all of the information we think is relevant. Esther Perel is a really interesting person to listen to and to learn more about the work that she's done. She's worked with such a diverse group of people. So her takeaways really do reflect a greater human paradox. Exactly, Michelle. She speaks like five or something languages. No, I think like eight. Yeah, she's a polygot for sure. Yeah, it's really, that in itself is interesting. We would love to hear from you. Send us an email, statuspostadulting at gmail.com. Feel free to send us a direct message on Instagram at statuspostadulting. If you have any trouble accessing our show notes or are looking for more information, you can also always check out our website, statuspostadulting.com. And most importantly, be sure to join us next time as we put down the rule book and rethink the status quo.